We've been practicing together, strengthening the paramitas, developing them, allowing them to grow and inspire our practice. And we've been resting in the growing stillness. We've been hearing teachings and inspiring stories. A few nights ago, it seems a while ago now, Trudy was sharing stories with us of wise beings who pointed out the gateway to liberation, people who are manifesting the different facets of the awakened heart. And last night, Jack shared with us the beautiful quality of equanimity, that gateway to liberation. And he also spoke about some of the doorways that um, are our way through. Sometimes it's through the doorway of suffering, sometimes through the doorway of awareness of impermanence, or of awareness of the selflessness of phenomena. So I'd like to invite you this evening, as you relax in the spacious awareness, to see what, from this place, what's true for you. When we're very still, deep insights can come unexpectedly even in Dharma talks. So just to be open to that possibility of however the truth might unfold. Our practice is drawing us to understand more and more deeply and for our hearts to open and to see more clearly. When the Buddha first taught the Four Noble Truths, He said, what is the noble truth of suffering? Birth is suffering, aging, sickness, being separated from those you love, suffering, and not getting what you want is suffering. And then he said, in short, the five categories affected by clinging are suffering. And that's what I'd like to explore this evening as we continue with the Parami of Wisdom. These five categories of a being that are affected by clinging, that the Buddha said, when we cling to them, is suffering. And it was really the Buddha's way of describing the elements that constitute all of our experience. So that we're a constellation of these changing, continually changing elements. The element of form, of feeling, of perception, of what are called mental formations, and of consciousness. Sometimes they're called aggregates, but it's a weird word, and it has um, connotations that don't really fit in our culture. And it can be helpful to think of it more as the elements of our experience flowing, rivers, streams. In the in Thich Nhat Hanh's, um, description of the Heart Sutra, he said, seeing deeply into the five rivers of experience, Avalokiteshvara discovered the empty nature of them all and overcame pain and became free. So the invitation tonight is to see deeply into these five rivers of experience, 
really the heart of how ourselves are created, how we create a self, and the essence of how dukkha is caused by our grasping and identifying with this self. Whenever we cling to or identify with any of these arising appearances, there's a contraction and a limitation. There's a fundamental unsatisfactoriness because they're always changing. We can't rely on any of them to stay the same. So these five focuses of the grasping mind, form is physical and the others are mental. Three of them, feeling, perception, and consciousness, are all based on the root of the Pali word, to know. Feeling knows the taste of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Perception knows, recognizes, names, experience, interprets. Consciousness knows the bare experience, a sound, a sight, touch. And then the fourth of these, sankara, or mental formations, is rooted in the Pali word to do. So the three mental categories have to do with knowing, and this other one is what we do with what we know. It's our relationship to experience. I discovered a beautiful way for me of working with these on a retreat a few years ago. And for generations and decades, monastics all over the world have chanted about the five focuses of the grasping mind, what the Buddha taught. And this is how, in summary, it's chanted. Attachment to form is dukkha, and then for all the others. And then form is impermanent, feeling is impermanent, perception is impermanent, Formations are impermanent. Sense consciousness is impermanent. We let that settle in. Form is not self. Feeling is not self. Perception is not self. Formations are not self. Consciousness is not self. And so we allow the realization of that on deeper and deeper levels. The first of these, form, is the felt sense of the physical world. The four elements, earth, air, fire, water. The body is a combination of these basic elements. Usually, we're at the surface level of concepts, the solidity. But the invitation is into the direct experience of form. So right now my experience is warmth, a little dryness in my throat, a little bit of vibration. And because that's impermanent, it's changing. What are you aware of as you put your attention on form? 
What's the flow of experience, moment by moment? This rapidly changing energy field that's form. When we put the continuity of our attention on these changing objects, it dispels the illusion of um, solidity, and the mind relaxes. It's not that we give up the level of form, it's simply that we're aware of the underlying reality. We're open to the mystery. Sometimes the sense of the body disappears. The boundaries between us and the world shift. There's a sense of formlessness, spaciousness. What's your awareness of form right now? If you allow that form is impermanent, is not self. We're seeing through our usual concepts of form the direct experience of what's actually happening. As we're sitting here, just there's listening, there's hearing, There's contraction, expansion. As we see through these concepts to the direct experience of form of what's actually happening, it helps free us from clinging to our ideas of the body as I or mine. Attachment to form is suffering. We want the body to not age, to, be, to stay a certain way. And the more attached we are to how the body is, the more fear or pain there is, the more concerned we are about change. As we release the sense of form being self, a deep equanimity comes sense of spaciousness. Sometimes we can have the sense that we're here and that the boundary of spaciousness is like a big circle. Sometimes it's as though we're at the wall and all of the spaciousness is around us. Sometimes we have the sense of being in the center of all of experiences, this vastness and spaciousness, and we're in the center. And then at some point, this awareness that there's an I in the center dissolves as a release of it. And when that releases, sometimes it's scary, but sometimes there's a profound sense of peace, this limitless expanse, the sense that the spaciousness has no end, and the sense of depth has no end. The analogies are like a sky like a vast space, like the ocean. As though this spaciousness is underlying all the sensory appearances and pervading all of our experience. Things arise out of it and dissolve back into it. 
So what's your experience of form in this moment? The feeling tone of experience is that quality of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral that conditions all our reactions. Pleasant liking dis and unpleasant disliking. I want if it's pleasant. I reject or push away if it's unpleasant. And it's simply arising out of contact with some object, a sound, a sensation, or a thought, pleasant or unpleasant arises. And the Buddha said, whenever feelings arise, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, abide contemplating impermanence in those feelings, contemplating fading away, letting go of feelings. Contemplating thus, we don't cling to anything in the world. When there's no clinging, to anything in the world. There's no agitation. When there's no agitation, Nibbana is attained. So it's when we can recognize the feeling tone simply as it is, unpleasant, not permanent, not self. See if you can notice the contraction that comes right after the feeling of pleasant or unpleasant. And if we do, we can break the cycle of becoming, and we can break the cycle of identification. We can really notice the birth and death of becoming around the sensations of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. There's the feeling tone and a reaction to it. A feeling tone, pleasant, mine, I want. And when we're able to notice those qualities, it deconditions the mind from grasping. Again, some months, a year ago or so, on a retreat, I was sitting um, quite concentrated like you are, and someone came, the forest refuge, and someone came um, the back of the hall and started vacuuming right outside and it was very, very loud, and the initial reaction was startle, and then unpleasant, and then disliking, and then judgment of the person, and whatever. But there was a noticing of the unpleasant arising, an awareness of what's unpleasant, unpleasant, as it was arising moment by moment, and the knowing of it as not being permanent. And then all of a sudden, it there was an awareness that the vibration in the body became very pleasant and was moving in a sort of rhythm with the, with the noise of the vacuum. And then it became pleasant, pleasant. And then there was an awareness of each of the moments of pleasant were not solid. They were changing rapidly one after another. Pleasant wasn't a continuous thing. And then it was just arising due to causes and conditions of the vacuum cleaner. And when the vacuum cleaner stopped, gone. No more pleasant. And then this reaching, oh, I'll bring it back again. Now it was so nice. And so the pleasant was just arising out of causes and conditions, ceased as soon as they were gone. 
And we can notice sometimes how our reaction to pleasant and unpleasant and neutral feeds a certain condition. The more irritated we get, the more it feeds unpleasant. The more we hold on, the more it feeds pleasant. So the next of these qualities is perception. And that's like the feeling tone arises out of contact with an object. It names it, recognizes it, recognizes it. Bell, light, yellow paper, whatever it is. And it leads to not just the concept, but our beliefs around it. And they get fixed and solidified. And we also have beliefs about ourself, this solid sense of self. Marie spoke beautifully about how um, the, the melting of the ice of concepts uh, into the living water of freedom within. I love that phrase. And she had this analogy of using our meditation, the parami of meditation, the insights from that, to poke holes in the concepts until they became like a sieve and there was no separation between inside and outside. There was this fluidity and there was this, this possibility of being open to the vastness of experience. I was reading recently of um, a woman, Christine Skarda, a Tibetan practitioner, who's a, a neuroscientist. And through her practice, she'd been, she'd been studying how perception functions in the brain, how it is that we, um, we, we form perceptions of the world around us. And she had this realization that everything is already in relationship, that there are no separate things. It's not separate. And that the real question that she should have been asking was how do we get an experience in our brains of separate subject and object when all along there's no break, it's all um, fluid. How is it that we create a separation of experience? So this surface appearance of solidity, of separation, um, can, we can really begin to notice um, the gaps in it when, we, when we're very mindful. Often, when we perceive something, the, the perception is of a surface level. And as we get closer and closer, we begin to see the detail and the intricacy. It's just like if you look at a hillside, you just see green. And as you get closer, you start to see different trees, and then you may start to see leaves or whatever it is. But the actual um, appearance, the first initial perception, is often inaccurate. And also what we're calling an I is a constellation of all these changing elements of body and mind. This sense of a solid self is um, a false concept. I was practicing once um, doing a loving-kindness practice and having a lot of aversion to it, um, and really not in a particularly good mind state at all. 
and it wasn't connecting in any way. And um, at the end of the session, I kind of stayed there feeling extremely grumpy and um, aversive. And then I had this image of myself in my office, where I was working as a physician. And um, in the image, I was peeling all these labels off my face. It was like the messiest desk in the office, and can't suture, and you know, failure at this, and whatever it was, all the judgments, peeling them off one after another, one after another. And then all of a sudden, there was nothing there. And I went, oh. There's no one that all these ideas belong to. There's nobody here. And it was such a relief. It was really a complete relief. It wasn't a a loss at all to not be a somebody. It was a relief to have that sense of releasing the ideas about oneself. The word person um, is from the Latin persona, which also means mask. And it's this sense of self is a mask. So behind the mask or behind the form, there is nothing, emptiness. But we're so used to the mask that we believe it's real. And that there's nothing behind the mask isn't actually a problem. We get scared that it is a problem. But it's simply being nothing, you are everything. That is all. One of my teachers said, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. And we realize very deeply that we've already lost it. So we don't have to pretend, we don't have to defend or protect it. And that's a relief. It's these false concepts of a self that we're having to defend and protect all the time. It's such a mystery. What does it mean, I am nothing? There's there's actually nothing to experience nothing. That's even stranger. As we pay attention to perception, we can see that as different perceptions arise and pass, it loosens our attachment to views and opinions because they're not so solid and they're changing all the time. When we're not holding on to them, a possibility of openness comes, of more ease. So let your eyes close for a moment, or not, it's okay not to. But as you're resting in the stillness, have some awareness of this quality of perception. How are you perceiving what it is that you are? What is this one that's sitting here? Perhaps having the intention to directly experience what you are. What is this? And you might notice what perceptions arise and change and pass. Perception is impermanent. Perception is not self.
is this experience? And so as you continue to listen, you might want to be aware of who's listening, who's hearing. Our perceptions of both ourselves, of time and space, can be so fluid. We have very solid ideas about time. We've created a whole concept of past and future. And it's easy to get attached to the past or the future, to in our mind to be living in one. Sometimes we can get attached to the present moment. It's as though the boat of present, we're supposed to be in the present, be in the present. So the boat of being in the present goes by, and we can get in the boat of being in the present moment. And the present moment is dissolving. There's a now arising, and then it's gone. Now and gone, now and gone happens so quickly. There really is nothing to hold on to. So we can be holding on to the raft of the past or the present or the future. What's it like to explore this perception of time? To allow the boundaries that we have about time to be more fluid? And as we explore these boundaries of ourselves, self, and time, and space, we see our perception of ourselves is that there's an individual, there's a who-ness, and there's also an interconnectedness. It's a both-and. There isn't anything that we lose. We can be both aware of form and formlessness, this flowing form arising out of formlessness over and over. So the next of these categories, the fourth one, called Sankara, are all the so-called mental functions, thoughts, moods, emotions, mind states, both the wholesome ones, all the paramis we've been exploring, and all the difficult, unwholesome mind states that cause us so much suffering. Earlier on, I mentioned how this particular quality or um, factor is about our relationship to experience. It's about what we do with or how we react with all of our experience. And it includes attitudes of mind, of liking, of disliking, and then reaching or pushing away. As soon as we identify with any of these mind states, whatever they are, we kind of reinforce a sense of self. 
there's a becoming, a personality that develops with it. And we can see, for example, how quickly um, we become a negative state. And then when we do that, they become more solid and they persist and we act as though they're permanent and true. We believe the story. So maybe we've been feeling discouraged today. There's been some unpleasant, unpleasant feelings or sensations and we've gotten discouraged or tired. And so then the, the sankara of I'm hopeless arises or I'm inadequate. And then there's the belief in it and that causes a further one. I can't get this right. I can't do this. And that causes a, a further belief. I'm no good or I'm bad. So there's a becoming as soon as we identify with it. What I found so helpful was um, just that, that very simple chant in the mind of, of attachment to these mind states is dukkha. Formations, mind states are dukkha. They're impermanent. They're not self. Just that reminder, this is not permanent, this is not self. And as a piece of that that became obvious, that was equally helpful, was as we explore those, um, if you remember, the Buddha instructed to be aware of them as they're arising, aware of them as they're dissolving. And as we're aware of the mind states arising and dissolving, we really get, oh, they weren't there before. And so rather than, I'm a fearful person, it's, oh, fear has arisen. It wasn't there before. Therefore, it can't be permanent, and it can't be who I am. It's a state. It's not me. It's not mine. It's not what I am. So just that soft note has arisen, or is arising. Fear arising, guilt, shame, doubt, wanting, comparing. A moment of getting it right, a moment of getting it wrong, just arising. When there's more stillness in our practice and there's some space between the thoughts, we can really see the arisings. We can catch them. We can catch the arising before it's become a gone. <laughs> or, uh, you know, sometimes when there's a little bit of stillness, we get the it's arisen. And as the arisings are known, we really begin to know and sense that the awareness that they're arising in isn't afraid or angry or ashamed or fearful. It's just passing through. And we begin to see that they arise due to causes and conditions, and that they end due to causes and conditions. And not just that, but the causes and conditions are also changing. So this is this flow. It's so wonderful and amazing to see it very clearly. It's so freeing. And as we do that, we start to see where there's a choice. We can catch the story arising, and then we can catch the believing in it mind state. The believing it is in a mind state arises, and then the identifying mind state arises. 
and then noting, oh, that's arising, is a reminder that it's being created. It's not real. It's a fabrication. And then we don't have to be scared of our minds because it's all just stuff. It dissolves. And then we see that the knowing of it arises and passes. I was sitting about uh, earlier in the month and um, again concentrated like some of you are and uh, there came a pace in my practice where um, shall I go deeper? Um, shall I do some res resolves? Shall I do this? Shall I do that? And so I saw these mind states, all of them had opinions about what should be done. Then the mind state of, no, no, let it unfold. And then the mind state of, well, which would be the right one? So this was all arising. And then there was this sense of the mind states duking it out, you know, <laughs> which, which one is going to prevail? But it was so wonderful actually seeing it happen and not being involved in it. Um, not having a particular preference or agenda about which one, which one would win. And then there was, who's knowing this? Who's knowing this? And then just emptiness. And it all dissolved, poof, as though it had never happened. And then sometime later that day, there was a mind state that was dark and swirling and mysterious with sort of like flashing lights and stuff. And there was this sense of, oh, this must have some profound meaning. And so there was the question, what's the meaning of this? Mm -hmm. And then this sort of little voice in a very Lancashire accent said, excuse my language, how the fuck should I know? You created it. <laughs> <laughs> gone. <laughs> all the con it's all concepts. They're all falling away. And yet they seem so real and we take them so seriously. And it's so freeing when we can just know that they're just, they're just dissolving. Sometimes we can be in these very pleasant deep states also. They can feel very freeing and very peaceful. And again, this is the same retreat, um, there was a state that was totally peaceful and a very, very, con very, a lot of contentment. And then these images, because sometimes I have visual things rather than actual thoughts, of the hindrances being subdued. So greed was lying there. You know, and there's nothing that was desired at all, not needing anything. And aversion and doubt and restlessness were all sort of pacified and calmed and just lying there. And it was so still, it was so beautiful. And then there was the realization that um, they hadn't been uprooted at all. They were just like that due to causes and conditions. And as soon as the causes and conditions ended, <laughs> any one of them could arise again. And it's just, you know, what to do? Let them go. This too is impermanent and not self. It's okay. 
we can be mindful if this is a skillful state arising and fully appreciate this beautiful state and know that it's also passing. Sometimes they come and go very quickly. Sometimes they last longer, again, depending on the causes and conditions. And the knower of the insights arises and passes. Sometimes we can have insights, and we really love this insight. It's such a good one. And so we're holding on to it, and, and somehow, subtly, it's become ours. And it's sort of like we're in the bathroom in the airplane, and we've locked the door, we're enjoying our insight. And the truth is outside the door, trying to get in with a whole bunch more insights. But the door says, occupied. And so we have to learn to allow the insights to go. Let them go. Trust the unfolding. What's going to arise next? The more we contemplate this stream, this flow of sankharas in our practice, the less we personalize them and the more we move into direct experience, the thoughts are just thinking themselves. Sometimes we can see what the causes and conditions are that give rise to them. There'll be a certain thought, and it triggers a mood or emotion. And the thought may disappear and arise and gone, and then the mood or emotion may last for a while. And if we're, if we're, if we're mindful enough, we can see what it is that triggered them and we can see what the causes and conditions are. Sometimes it's the emotion. We may have this really, um, ir- we may wake up feeling really irritable and grumpy and frustrated, and then it colors all the thoughts for the next number of hours. So that's the cause and condition that led to it. We can also see that believing in the mind states or condemning the mind states strengthens the sense of self. And that makes them stay around longer. It, it, they're permanent then. We've identified with them. But this knowing that, um, and this, um, our mindfulness building, so that we're less and less identified with every passing state, shows, that the react, shows us that the reactions are optional. And that actually identifying and believing are just a choice. It's a choice believing the stories. It may not feel like that at the time, but it actually is a choice. They're not real. They're mind-creating stuff. Whatever arises is going to come and go. The reactions are going to come and go. The last of these qualities is consciousness. That's the bare, in in the context of this stream of five, consciousness here refers to the bare knowing of experience. And it's mirror-like, it's clear, it's just the knowing. Before we add the perception or the thoughts or the opinions about it, just the knowing of a sound. And it too arises out of conditions. In order for me to see this light, I need an eye, I need a functioning eye, and I need a consciousness that's, that's aware of that. If 
there's no consciousness, then I could have an eye, but it wouldn't see anything. So it needs both the object and the consciousness and the eye, and it needs another condition. If the lights in the room were off, I couldn't see it. And so it's like a flow in the same way. And as our practice slows down, we start to see that consciousness is arising with the object. It's like these paired arisings over and over. It's, it's not really separate. They're different, but not separate. There's the object and the knowing of the object coming together. And when we pay attention to the knowing, it's, it's a beautiful way of connecting with this sense of the fluidity of consciousness, this coming and going. It happens so fast. There are so many mind moments in, um, in, any, in a blink of an eye. Millions or whatever it is, billions of mind moments in a blink of an eye. It's flowing so fast that there really is nothing to hold on to. It's just over and over this arising of, these, of this paired consciousness that's different but not separate. This sense of different but not separate, um, a way that helped me understand that, because it's sort of, you can't, it's not really like you can figure it out. It's like if you have an apple, and the apple is both round and red. Round and red are different, but they're not, se- but, but they're both in the apple. <laughs> and it's the same with the object and the knowing of the object that are arising together. Being known. And what's experiencing this? being known. So these are these five energies, these five streams of experience, and they're not to be clung to or to be seen as I or mine. They're to be seen as impermanent and not self. Buddha Dasa said, nothing whatsoever should be clung to as I or mine. With our wisdom eye, we can see self taking birth many, many, many times a day. It's created whenever we attach ourselves to any of these five aspects of experience. Whenever we grasp at one element or another, whether it's the form, the unpleasant or pleasantness, our perception, our emotions, our consciousness, whenever we connect or contract around it, we reduce ourselves to small, a small sense of self. And we can feel the contraction, we can feel the limitation. And we can see for ourselves the un- inherent unsatisfactoriness in trying to hold on, in resisting actually the truth of impermanence and not self when we can be receptive to everything without holding on. It's really beautiful. We really have this sense of there is nothing to hold on to. It's all moving so fast. We can notice how letting go happens all by itself. Everything is letting go, releasing itself, arising, passing, arising, passing. Sometimes we can have the sense of holding on, and then it's just a moment of holding on, arising and passing, a moment of letting go, arising and passing, flowing down this river of awareness. 
all these five are continually coming and going. And it's not a nothingness that's state that's free of I and mine. It's, it's more of a sense of becoming um, a No, that's the wrong word. <laughs> Becoming is more in a sense of identification. More what I'm, I'm trying to say is when we're free of this sense of I and mind, when there isn't that contraction around it, there's this opening into this bright, spacious, open awareness out of, through which it all flows. We're open to possibility. We're freed from fixed concepts. It's the ground of where everything is possible. And are any sense of self that comes is seen through and dissolved. There's this spaciousness and interconnectedness. Thich Nhat Hanh says, these five elements, these five rivers, are empty of a separate self, but full of everything in the cosmos. And the vision of life that's in the Jataka tales, that, that we, um, that uh, spring, introduced the other night, is the interconnectedness of everything and the interresponsibility of everything. We're experiencing everything as all part of the stream of life. And while on the one hand, ultimately, there's no one there, the deep understanding of that moves us to compassion, moves us to being, just being not separate from any of life. And sometimes when we're caught in something, or sometimes when we're complacent, when we're in a place of complacently, complacency, we're kind of hanging out. It's not unpleasant particularly, it's not pleasant, it's okay, it's kind of nice, there's no struggle present. It can just help to drop in already here. And just that reminder, oh, it's already here. And you might even notice that some subtle clinging somewhere that's keeping you identified, keeping you separate from this stream, from the flow. And this flow of experience, the Buddha wasn't saying to get rid of these five elements so that they were wrong, just not to grasp at them, just to enjoy this flow of life, to allow it to, to come and go and move. It's so beautiful. I'd like to share this aid that I devised in one of my fits of creativity. And that was, um, rather than prescription glasses, perception glasses. And using these perception glasses, I could get wise view. But the trouble is that because there's nobody to actually wear them, you can't keep them on. <laughs> and also, there's nowhere in awareness to hang them, because they're concepts. And so they arise out of certain conditions. That's what happens, they arise. And so our job is to keep creating the conditions that the perception glasses will arise so we can see clearly through them. And so having, having invented them, I had to let go of them <laughs> and hope that they might appear again.
So this last thing I'd like to share with you is that it is amazing the insights that we can have on retreat, the experiences of retreat, of, of these knowing of the characteristics of life, of all of our experience. And we can be in this place and it's wonderful. And then we can have a sitting where it's as though they never happened. And the mind state arises that believes um, the stories again. It takes over. Here it is. Here's the mind state that comes through that's believing all the stories. And so the the piece that I found helpful in this is that, um, as the brain studies show, that the initial changes are temporary. (laughs) A reminder that the initial changes are temporary, but if they're powerful and repetitive and incremental, then they get saved. There's a recruitment. So it's not about them being permanent, but it's more about inclining our minds and doing it over and over. It's like that facet of the crystal gets brighter, and then the next facet gets brighter. So we're recruiting these awarenesses We're dropping into these experiences of the truth over and over, so that the crystal becomes more and more um, vivid and alive in us. And then we can begin to live from that place. So, my wish for you is that this opening to the truth brings you joy and clarity and wisdom. May we all realize liberation. So in the hearing, there's just hearing. <laughs>